Welcome to Teaching Channel Talks. I'm your host, Wendy Amato. As often as I can, I jump into conversations about topics that matter in education. In this episode, I'm welcoming two educators who bring warm energy to teaching and learning, Regina Curtis and Adrienne McKeon. Welcome. Regina, give me a little bit about your background. Yeah. Um, thanks. First of all, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. So I have a pretty diverse background through lots of different areas of um, career, but I started out as an elementary um, art teacher and then worked as an art teacher also in high school and I've worked in um, the higher ed space as well in the creative space. So I have a long history of education, travel, uh, learning, all tied into lots of different spaces. And I love, I love doing what I do. Regina, I've known you for about a decade, and you have been a podcast guest with me before. So I was really excited when you introduced me to Adrienne, because you you know what we're about, and you know the impact that we can make in education. So Adrienne, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Wendy. This is so exciting to me. What would be important for us to know about you and your background and what you bring to teaching and learning? Well, I am a best-selling author of the Creative Living for All series. I am an educator and I love to educate educators about ways to really let people be authentic in their learning process, to have their natural flow of creativity help them to define what they want to learn and how they want to learn it. I really what what I love to do more than anything else is just to help people to create and innovate with ease and enjoyment. Creating and innovating is right in our wheelhouse. The three of us could just take the world by storm this way. Regina, when you hear create and innovate, what what does that make you think about? Mm, I think it's the future. Um, it's really what we do in order to create the future, right? It's how we show up in the present right now, using the information from our past to project what is needed in the future and then actually make that happen. A, a regular or traditional teacher may just think about that as career prep. <laughs> it's so That's so narrow. Adrienne, what, how do we expand teachers thinking into something bigger and better? Well, one thing I really want to clarify is that there's a difference between insight and what I call outsight. Now, outside is what we normally learn in school. This is gathering data from outside of ourselves and then synthesizing it in a way that we can consistently come up with a, an expected answer. This is great for education because we can see the process and we can grade people based on are they learning how to learn in, in the way that we want them to. The problem with this is that then we don't get any unexpected answers. We can only get the answers that we are expecting to get because we're giving them a recipe to follow. And of course, they're going to come out with the same outcome every time. That's, again, wonderful if that's what you're going for, to get an expected outcome every time. But when you want to teach someone how to create something that does not exist yet, when you want to teach someone how to innovate, you need to learn how to, you, have, you need to teach them how to invite more insights. And so an insight is a sudden holistic understanding of something. This is like that download that you get into your mind and you suddenly just get it. 
And so this is something we really need to, as educators, be very aware of, that some sometimes we just get an insight and we just understand a thing. And that doesn't mean we cheated. It just means that we didn't go through the, the, the defined outside steps. We had an insight. We do get conditioned in schools for uh, the way a right answer looks and feels and sounds, or you see students trying to figure out what the teacher is looking for. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a real disconnect from deep understanding and, and, and whether that moment of deep understanding is, is nicknamed the aha moment, it, it needs to be about that student having a discovery, not about whether the teacher feels like they taught the lesson. It's not about the teacher winning the lesson. It, it needs to be student-centered in a way that maybe isn't happening in all our classrooms. What, how do we help teachers get there? I think the, the first thing to do, just like Regina said, is to really foreground intuition. Let students know that intuition is a thing, first of all. Teach them how to feel it, how to notice it. Make them more intuition aware. I think that's something that is really missing from public education right now, is making people self-aware, aware of their own thinking process, aware of their own learning process, and taking taking control of that process in a way that feels really good to them. I agree. And I think that starts with teachers, honestly, because, you know, my first reaction when you said that was like, well, the whole school system needs to change, but (laughs) without having the ability to do that, right? Like sometimes we, that the external circumstances are creating a situation where it makes it very challenging internally, right, inside of that system to make different changes. Yet at the same time, sometimes it needs to come from the middle out, right? Mm -hmm. And the teachers are in the place of the middle. Like they're they're the in-between between like the big system and the individuals that are coming into the system. And they are the ones that have the ability to change that in themselves by showing up in a particular way. So yeah, there are still tests that we have to, you know, navigate and things like that. But when a teacher, when shows up in their leadership, not just as a, I'm standing in front of the classroom and therefore am a leader, but in their leadership as an individual and understands how that works for them and models that, Mm. that is super powerful, right? And that helps to create that outward ripple. So I have a a very specific and simple framework for understanding how intuition- We got to hear it. Come on. (laughs) So it's TIMES, the acronym TIMES, T-I-M-E-S. There are five channels this wisdom comes through and uh, to you and through you. Thinking, images, movement, emotions, and sensory. And so when- you can actually have that language and be fluent in that language and share that um, by example, but also talk about it, right? Like most of our school system, 
I mean, I worked in the art room, right? So images was really important. And Adriana, I know you were, you know, performing arts. So that's going to be a place where movement is going to be more present and emotions are going to be more present. Wendy, I know with a, with a language background, right? So the thinking channel is like really strong there, but in a different way than it is necessarily in a math classroom or a science classroom, et cetera. But the more we can bring all of these channels to the forefront and prioritize them and normalize them, then the more the students can have that flexibility to be themselves. Would it throw a wrench in our conversation if I asked how um, this this visible presence that we offer, how does that work as we think about different cultural norms and cultural perspectives? What looks like a power stance to one person might be threatening to another, or what looks like respect may look like disinterest. How do we navigate this energy and the interpretation of it when there are so many cultural considerations? I think it goes back to that internal, that insight, right? And being aware of the environment around you, not just through outside, but through insight. By reading the language of the room, by being in tune with the energy and how someone responds to something. If you've mm -hmm. ever, um, I'm a hugger, right? Like I'm, I'm great with people giving me a hug, strangers, it doesn't matter. But I, uh, my sister is not, and I have seen a very clear difference with when somebody goes to like, give me a hug and then they go to give her a hug. She pulls back. Like there's a, there's a very, um, subtle and she's not meaning to offend anyone, but there is information there. Right. And so, yeah, she just kind of like pulls, pulls back a little bit. Like she, her body gets stiff. And so when you're aware of that and you have that awareness of how your reactions are, how you respond and how you receive that information, you're more in tune also with how other people are responding it. And I think you don't have to know everything about a culture in order to show up open and aware and present to be able to respond and show up in, in a compassionate and uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but like, just, you know, to, be a kind, insightful person in that space. Yeah, connected and in tune. Yeah. Yeah. I think teachers have a really great gift for reading the room, for reading that energy. Whether you realize it or not, every time you step into a classroom, that's exactly what you do. You are reading the room, you are reading the energy, and you are responding to that energy. And I think a, a lot of it is just intention. When you have the intention right? Of connecting with these people in this room, then you are more aware of how they're responding to you and you're able to adapt. And so if you do something that physically feels like a great gesture for the energy that you're wanting to convey, and you see that it's not having the effect that you want it to, just being aware of that and having a moment to stop and go, whoa, okay, communicating, that's not what I was trying to do here. Let's try again. I think that can really release the tension, especially if you can make a joke about it, it just not taking yourself too seriously. Can we just talk about that for a minute? Like, yes, please. Not, <laughs> not taking this whole energy thing too seriously, right? It's playful. It's fun. It's an experiment. Every time you step into a room, you are learning something new. And so you have to step in with this newness and this, this understanding that you have no idea what's going on here. <laughs> Really and, and yeah, and we're all learning this together. And so if you cannot take yourself too seriously, have a fun, playful attitude about it, 
then you can, that again, you're setting the example. It will help other people relax and feel like, okay, we're not, we're not being too serious here. We can be a little bit silly. We can be a little bit playful and we can figure this out together. If being too serious is a creativity killer, I'd like to think about other creativity killers. If like, we know we want to dial this up, what barriers or obstacles can we remove to allow the flow to, to happen better? This is my area of expertise. If I could start, please give it to us. (laughs) Do it. Creativity killer number one is self judgment. Okay. Tell me more. Yeah. So I think all of us at some point in our lives got some kind of criticism that just squashed our creativity and let us know, like, you're not as creative as you think you are, or your creativity isn't as valuable as you think it is. Something along the way, let us know that just being playful and experimental wasn't enough. And so now we have this idea that we have to judge our creations. And the problem is that we try to do this as we are creating them. And that kills creativity right out of the gate. This is what writer's block or any kind of artistic block actually is. It's just self-judgment in in advance. And so if we can, I, I have this thing called, I have a thing which I call the doer cycle and it's dreaming, organizing, executing, and revising. And it's just a simple four-part cycle that is really the same thing as the lunar cycle. It's the same thing as the seasons. It's just a natural cycle that you can be aware of that is happening within and without. And so when we are in that dreaming state, that, that origination state, we cannot need allow that little reviser to come in and try to interrupt and say, but is that useful? And is that like, that will come later. All of that comes later. When you're trying to execute and you're trying to pour something out of yourself, you need to set a timer and just let it go and no stopping and no self-judgment, no criticism. Perfectionism is paralysis when it comes to creativity. Okay. Yeah, that those those kind words are going to bring a lot of people to tears thinking about <laughs> how hard they are on themselves yes. or, or some 50-year-old childhood memory of a comment from a parent who oh. didn't think about the long-lasting impact. Absolutely. We, we can free ourselves from this. It's not easy. It's not easy. It takes work. I, and and I know that, you know, we do this all the time without meaning to. We squash our kids. We squash our students. It's not something that we intend to do, but it's so deeply ingrained in us to judge and to offer feedback, right? Even if it's completely unsolicited. And so I really encourage us all to recognize, like, what does that feel like when somebody when somebody squashes me and notice next time you 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 get that reaction? of the squash, right? I'm going to switch topics for us. I'd love to explore some thoughts around creative leadership. We've talked about the teacher as the leader of a classroom space. I would like to think a little bit more about the impact on student learning when we have authentic creative leadership in in the midst. I think one of the, the big things that we can do as leaders is to set the example of letting our creativity out without judging it, allowing ourselves to be playful and be experimental and try things without knowing how they're going to go, 
so that they can see us doing that and know that it's okay to mess up, to try again. It's okay to do it badly the first time, right? We have to be willing to be terrible at something if we are ever going to be great at it. And so I think we as the leaders have to step up and show what that looks like. Try new things in the classroom, do things we've never done before, take risks and screw up sometimes. Screw up sometimes, make a big mess of it, right? And enjoy making a mess of it. Let them see how fun it can be to make a mess. Do you remember when you were little and you did finger painting and you just made a giant mess, right? That was the point of that activity. (laughs) Process over product. Absolutely. So let them see you enjoying your process and they will get, they will not only now have the tools to enjoy their own process, but they will have permission to enjoy it. Hmm. So I would challenge us in this room, whoever's listening, us in the world right now, humans, to consider that you can be a learner and a leader at the same time. And Mm -hmm. I think that is the key issue here, right? Because at some point we decided that if you were a leader, you also are not a learner, right? Like you can only be a learner from those who are in front of you, ahead of you, above you, whatever hierarchical system, right? We're in in the structure of at the moment what the truth of it is is that we're always learning we're always leading in some capacity whether you're just leading yourself to the bathroom to brush your teeth at the moment and you feel like you're learning everywhere else it doesn't matter right you're always a learner you're always a leader and when you can hone in on what your unique genius is and be a leader in that space and be open enough to receive the leadership of other people and then model that, that is transformative. Let's do only what only we can do and offer some advice to people who will hear it only from us. What kind of call to action might we offer to educators and people in the education community who want to elevate their practice and provide the best teaching and learning environments uh, that they can. Regina, what kind of call to action can we make? I would say, learn what that is for you. What is that thing that only you can do? What is the what is the weird, unique, fabulous thing about you that makes you you and that other people need from you? Because that is the key, right? It's not finding out what other people need from you and then molding yourself into that. It's figuring out, what already exudes from you, what is just naturally in every bit of your being, and then finding the space where you can shine that light. I love it. Audrian, a call to action for the education community. What would you like to see? I would love to actually offer a tool, if I can, to help people do exactly what Regina just talked about. (laughs) Ready. So this is the four R's to invite more innovative insights. The first R is to reduce your information intake. In this day and age, we are constantly bombarded by external information, and we have to make the conscious choice to set down our devices, walk away, and not take in new information. 
So that's the first R. The second R is to reflect on the information that you've already taken in. So after you're in a meeting, after you teach a class, after anything that you've done, take a moment to just reflect on what did I learn from this? What can I walk away with? What, what's the big takeaway from this? I really, I really especially encourage you to do that after you listen to this right now. Like, what <laughs> did I just take away from that? What am I going to share with somebody else from this? Then you reverse the flow from in outside in to inside out. So this is where you do a free write or you do a what I call a walk and talk, where you just go for a walk with somebody that you trust and talk, talk it out, right? Get what's up here out somehow. Some people are more verbal processors. Some people work better writing because then you can focus more, but it really doesn't matter. Either way works really well. I really recommend though that you set a timer and just allow it to pour out and don't stop until it's done. And then finally, we have the last R, which is actually the most important. Those other three were just, just practice and preparation for this, which is relax and play to stimulate your right brain because this is where creativity occurs, right? When we get too analytical about things and we're too up here trying to figure things out, when we press on the problem, right? We cannot find a solution. So to solve a pressing problem, stop pressing on the problem, do something enjoyable and just relax and play. Regina and Adrienne, I'm so glad we got to have some time together and explore topics that really can support good teaching and learning. It's what I'm all about. And you all have made an incredible contribution to the education community. Thank you both. If you'd like to explore topics that Regina and Adrienne and I discussed today, please check out the show notes at teachingchannel.com slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe on whatever listening app you use that will help others to find us. I'll see you again soon for the next episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you.